Welcome into the Lockdown Knicks podcast, part two of our green room conversation. Alex, what are we getting into today? We've got a lot of great topics to get into in this one. We start off talking about if Tom Thibodeau can bring out Colin Sexton's past defensive reputation that he had back in high school and college as this dogged defender that hasn't really played out in the NBA. Uh, so we we debate that. We talk about if Tibbs in general needs to add some new wrinkles to the defense, like zone and you know different things to throw out there so that the Knicks don't get uh, sort of stuck in a situation like they were against teams like the Hawks, where they just didn't seem to have a lot of uh, diversity on their defense. Then we talk about if trading uh, Obi Toppin and Kevin Knox for Colin Sexton, and, and also just sort of a general referendum on trades in general, on if the Knicks should be wary about uh, affecting team chemistry this offseason by making too many moves and creating too much roster turnover like in years past, or if there's sort of a happy medium to be uh, to be struck there. And then we finish off Real quick, talking about Carl Anthony Towns as a potential future trade target for the Knicks. So all that's coming up next on our second edition of our Green Room episode from last week. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks, and this episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join Alex and I tentatively Friday at 5.30. We're still working out all the details. To get in on the action again, I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. Once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the greatest Knicks website out there, The Strickland. And without further ado, let's get into it. Our Spotify green room from last Thursday, final part, right now on Locked on Knicks. But we have, like I said, a few more, few more speaker requests here. Got quite a few, actually. We got Bryce Butler coming up next, a frequent visitor to the the green room here bryce how you doing man what's going on hey what's going on fellas how y'all feeling today not too bad how you doing bryce yeah i'm doing good i'm doing good so one just point about sexton and then a question for you guys so my point about sexton you know i got a when i first heard of this trade i I got the text last night from friends of mine who are knicks fans and i was like really like the player but, you know, Gavin, as I brought up before, when, when it was Obi mentioned, I'm like, mm, you know, you know how I feel about Obi. My bias comes in. I really think, you know, he's going to be a really solid player. But, you know, I try to be a very reasonable Knicks fan. You know, everything Jason just said, spot on 100%. You just can't deny it. It's a trade the Knicks definitely should make. I would hate to see Obi go because I think there is, you know, there is a lot of upside. Um, I guess maybe a mini question with that is do you feel because of his high effort that Tibbs would be able to get more out of him, you know, defensively, um, seeing that he's become a really great offensive player and maybe not quite the defensive player people thought he would be. Do you feel that he's going to be bought in and Tibbs will be able to get that out of him if it's only going to be like that, if he has that one-year deal and then we'll pay you the big bucks? Um, is he going to be committed kind of on both ends of the floor? Do you see him being – Yeah, so we were – 
we, we, we were talking to Evan about that a little bit. Um, the Evan uh, Damarell, who hosts Locked on Cavs, editor of Fear the Sword, the Cavs SB Nation site. Uh, so great, great resource. Uh, if, you, if you guys missed it, definitely go check that pot out. But yeah, he, he I think he made a good point that a lot of Sexton's struggles come from having to guard twos because Darius Garland is, is obviously undersized. Um, so it, it kind of falls on Sexton, and he's just not really at a point in his career yet where he's qualified to do that. And even if he is a defender who plays with, like, I, I don't know if any of you guys followed him at a high school, but I'm, I'm a big fan of high school recruiting. So I remember watching his highlight tapes, and, like, the whole, the whole premise of him through high school and college was that he was this absolutely lockdown guy, like ferocious, tenacious, like kind of, kind of Patrick Beverly esque. Anyways, Evan mentioned that like Beverly was sort of considered the floor for him and the ceiling was Eric Bledsoe back when Eric Bledsoe was, was a little bit more of a wanted commodity. And so, so his whole reputation was sort of built around defense and he kind of unexpectedly turned himself like he, he, he was, don't get me wrong. He was dynamic around the rim in college, but he kind of unexpectedly turned himself into this plus NBA three point shooter. This, this high level score relatively early in his career, but you look at what he's been tasked to do defensively. And it's been to go, go lock down like James Harden one night and go chase around clay Thompson another night. It, it's stuff that you don't typically see forced on to young players who again are, are nominally about point guard size, but he does, he does have a nice wingspan he, he does have a track record, at least at least in college, playing under Avery Johnson, uh, of playing really hard and playing with a lot of intensity on that end of the floor. does have a proven work ethic. So I, I think in, in my mind, like the worst case scenario under Tibbs is that he's just sort of like a bit below average defensively. But he doesn't really strike me as someone, and maybe this is wrong, I'm a watcher in person will be like, oh, God, this guy's a disaster. But he doesn't really strike me as someone who is going to be just terrific on defense. Because again, I think similar to my comments about like Reggie Jackson and offense, defense is something that that rapidly fluctuates based on team setting situation. Like you even look at Kevin Durant, like a guy throughout the season, like if you just turned on a random Nets game in February, you'd be like, oh, he's he's maybe lost the he's lost a little bit of a step defensively. Come playoff time against the Milwaukee Bucks, who we're seeing as of now, pretty good team, even though they didn't look that good against the Nets. Durant was a monster in that series, defensively, flying around, blocking shots. And obviously I'm not I'm not making a direct comparison between Durant and Sexton. All that is to say that that context really shapes effort. And if you're playing on a team where Kevin Love is, is literally inbounding the ball to dudes on the other team, you might be a little bit less inclined to play your heart out defensively. And you could see how a younger player would be like, screw this. I'm just going to go out and get my stats. I'm going to put all my energy into offense. And hopefully some team will notice, get me out of here, and I can change situation. You could argue that that's not the best thing in the world, but it is reality for a lot of players in the NBA. So I, I think he's someone who under Tibbs, specifically and in a defensive culture and with Mitchell Robinson behind him blocking shots could certainly make a leap on that end of the floor. And the great thing about, I mean, the Knicks, like presuming they add like a, a bigger three and D wing this off season, you're going to have RJ at the two who who's more than capable of guarding like stronger perimeter players. So Sexton is never going to really be in a situation where he has to guard someone who's just physically overwhelming for him. But Alex, what do you think about that? Um, I kind of, I kind of think too that, there might be some untapped defensive potential with Sexton. Um, you know, I, I think I I was the, I think I was the one that brought up the, the like Beverly thing to Evan the other day when we were talking, and you know, the, I was like, it's just so weird that his career has gone the way that it has, where he's now this like he's almost like a Zach Levine type now, where people are like. 
oh, his offense is so amazing, but is his defense so bad that, you know, it literally doesn't even matter. And physically he kind of checks out as a, as a guy that should be able to guard at least two guards, you know, so he should be able to do ones and twos on defense. He's like six, three ish, maybe six, four with like a six, eight wingspan. I'm pretty sure or six, six, seven and a half. Uh, I looked up his combine numbers the other day, just cause I was curious. So like the physical profile is there for a guy that should be able to, you know, defend at the NBA level. And we saw it back in high school and college. I mean, I remember in college there was that game where uh, I'm pretty. Oh, sure the, the three three on five game. Yeah, I was about to say I'm not bugging, right? It was Colin Sexton. Yeah, no, where, no, no. Yeah, it was against Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, where where Alabama, you know, they came in super shorthanded to begin with, and then wound up down to three players. They were playing three on five, and Sexton was flying around the court like such a madman that like they almost pulled it out with a three on five situation, which is just insane. Hey, what's up, guys? Time for our first break, and we want to talk about one of our all-time favorites in Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There's really something out there for everyone. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're about to find out. Coconut, Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, Salted Caramel, Strawberry, Orange, Cookies and Cream... German chocolate. If you haven't tried all the flavors, they have this great deal where you can get a mix box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors, so you get to sample everything and learn what your best one is. And the, the best thing about Belt Bar is they don't only taste great, they're really good for you. Check out the macronutrients. 17 to 18 grams of protein. The calories range from 130 to 180. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar. That is really the amazing one because you, you, you get these alleged health bars a lot of the time and then you look at the sugar metric and you're just saying this isn't actually all that good for me not the case for built bar and only four to five grams of net carbs so even though they fill you up even though they give you energy not really overdoing it on 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 the whole carbs thing so amazing flavors all tasty all healthy and remember order today and you can get the grasshopper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like built bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Isn't that neat? Don't you want to eat like a champion? Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. I mean, he's got that defensive potential. I, I just wonder if maybe it's been, you know, in the NBA, I think that schemes are important and putting guys in positions to succeed on defense is important. And we sort of saw that with the Knicks, like, this year, Derrick Rose, for example, has never been a grade A defender. And yet we saw based off the situation that he was in with the Knicks this year that, you know, he was like a plus defender at times for the Knicks, you know, just by virtue of hustling and being in a scheme that allowed him, you know, to play passing lanes well and, you know, just be in positions to succeed and, and be coached right. So, I think there's definitely a possibility that that could be Sexton's future too on this team. And I don't want to say it's like a certainty or anything, but I think it's, you know, more likely than it, it, it's more likely that he would at least be able to get to a neutral on defense, you know, where he's at least not harming the team. than 
him being an overt negative like he has been through the first parts of his career uh, on the Caps. Because I just think that he's never been on a, a particularly good roster and he's never had stability at coach and a good defensive scheme. So, like, of course, you know, he, he's never been on a great defense. But, I mean, it's hard to, or it's easy to forget about. But if you think all the way back to the beginning of this year, too, you know, I still remember these games against them uh, uh, because of, you know, the fact that the Knicks, I think, split the games. The Knicks played all those games at the beginning of the season against the Cavs. And for a while, to start this season, when they still had Andre Drummond, who also was really giving a crap on defense, and when the Cavs sort of seemed like maybe they might be a sneaky play-in contender early in the season. Like, the offense was struggling, but the defense was like, they were like a top-five defense, right along with the Knicks for the better part of the first, like, quarter of the season this year. And then the the wheels kind of came off like they always do for the Cavs, and then, you know, their team defensive ratings plummeted, and I'm sure Colin Sexton's, you know, impact numbers got affected and stuff by that, too. But there, there was a time when he had a big that was playing good defense and drumming and, you know, had a team that seemed like it was playing for something. And as a team, they were playing really good defense and Sexa was part of that. So I, I feel pretty confident that on a team like the Knicks where, you know, they should hopefully uh, never have that falling off point where all of a sudden they realize, ah, crap, we're not, you know, we're not playing for anything. And then the wheels come off and the rest of the year, the defense isn't any good. You know, if he's on a team like the Knicks where that doesn't happen, then, uh, you know, maybe he could turn things around as far as his defensive reputation. So, Alex, yeah, you make yeah, you make some great points there. I think I may push back in terms of the size thing, because what I'm hearing is I think that athleticism, you know, the NBA athleticism, the effort, you know, it's athleticism with hard work. So, he's going to get over in college and high school with that against most people who aren't going to go to his level. But I wonder with the struggles in the NBA, I think it's going to have to be scheme and team because I'm wondering if he's a, if his size is actually a little overstated. That makes me think, is he actually a little smaller than what he thinks? Like, like LeBron standing next to Lonzo morning, Lonzo, a lot of time listed six eleven, he's really six <laughs> nine. Like, like, like he's as tall as, as as LeBron. So I wonder in the NBA where guys can just big boy you, I wonder if that could be part of the problem of why he's having trouble with twos. Because for the most part, even though, you know, it's everything's, you know, space and pace, twos are still twos, six four, six six, six seven guys that if they see you're a little smaller than maybe advertised, even if you've got arm length, they're gonna try to big boy you and you can that can be a problem. So maybe that's that's lending itself to his issues. Just the thought. Yeah, I, I hear that. And um, I, I will say the numbers, I pulled them from the combine anthrometrics, which generally are pretty accurate, like right down to the like quarter of an inch. They, they go down a quarter of an inch as far as as far as uh, the precision of the measurements. Um, so I would feel pretty confident that like I think the wingspan is legit. And the height is legit, but I, I do see your point that, it, you know, even sometimes guys, uh, so the, the guys that you normally get the sort of weird reporting on or that you used to now the NBA is super strict about guys, you know, they have, they instituted this past year that every team had to measure their players and post accurate height, weight, 
length measurements for all of them. Um, so that's no longer sort of a thing. But when you used to see like the Kevin Durant's of the world where KD used to want to be listed at like six foot nine for years. And then people were like, no, he's actually like over seven feet tall, but he just doesn't like to, you know, he doesn't like that out there because then, you know, he never wanted to be pigeonholed into being a big, you know, he wanted to be considered a wing. And back in the day, like you couldn't be a six eleven wing. You know, they, it, they they would be like, oh, well, you're a power forward then because you're 6'11 or higher. Like, that's obviously, you know, power forward or center. And so that was where you sort of had those uh, those misreportings of height and weight and stuff. And guys would skip the anthro measurements at the combine, which would then allow those things to kind of get misreported. Now I think it's a little more accurate. Um, these guys get measured pretty often throughout their careers. Um and especially now, like I said, with the NBA cracking down on that a bit, I think that's a little less of a problem. So I, I do buy the plus wingspan with Sexton, but I will say, like, I see your point in the sense that even if he does have the height and the wingspan, you also have to have the functional strength and everything else to be able to make that all work for you. So, um, but Bryce, we have a couple more, or we have another speaker request to get to, uh, and and Gavin and I have to be going in about twenty minutes, so. Um, do you have any final thoughts on on the whole Sexton thing before we uh, move to the next person? Um, just one final question, and I'm going down. Thank you for the sure. on the Sexton. Love you guys' work. Um, my question is, I love what someone brought up, I think it was last week, about diversifying the offense. Um, let me ask you this on the flip side. Does Tibbs need to continue to diversify the defense and maybe implement more zone in different sets for different players, more trapping or something creative and some type of, you know, quote unquote, amoeba type defense, exotic stuff where to get teams kind of off balance, push the pace to get more possessions and more points. Great as the Knicks were, does Tibbs continue? Does he have to continue to kind of grow on that side too and diversify the Knicks defense? Are there any ways you see him being able to do that? I mean, I think it's the same conversation we had um, after the playoffs that we, we mostly focused on offensive adjustments and, and just sort of like making the acknowledgement that the team would have been more prepared for the Hawks if they had played in a more stylistically diverse way over the course of the year. And yet they might have lost more regular season games and had to face the Bucks or the Sixers or the Nets in the first round and, and gone out in similar fashion anyways, even if they had ultimately been a better team. So I, I think all that stuff is, to some extent, a natural product of a team progressing. And I think you can also fairly state that the defense, you, you usually go to those looks when an offense starts beating you, which typically happens at some point in the playoffs because you, you tend to play really good offensive teams in the playoffs. The Knicks, by and large, you look at what the Hawks did in the ensuing two rounds, did a really, really good job on Atlanta. It was more so that they couldn't score on the other end. So I I would say it's it's always good to have those looks in your back pocket. And the best teams in the NBA, the teams that are winning championships, you're ultimately going to need to pull those looks out at some point, unless you just have overwhelming defensive personnel, which the Knicks don't necessarily have. Um, so I, th- I think it's a good thing to have in your back pocket, but I also I think it's very similar to the offensive issues we saw from them in the postseason, where it's something that as you get more competitive, you kind of have the luxury of experimenting with throughout a regular season. All right, guys, it's that time again, second and final break, and we got to tell you about Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. 
Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the greatest sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your big chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code locked on. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think, you know, and I think that this year, I mean, it's tough to really fault the the Knicks for only, you know, quote unquote, only achieving what they did this year and, and you know, ultimately being kind of exposed in the playoffs because I think that you need a measure of continuity and, you know, you need to be able to get, particularly on a team like the Knicks who, you know, Randall's a vet, Rose's a vet, obviously, you know, Bullock and all them, but, you know, you, you're putting a pretty good amount of trust in guys like Mitchell Robinson when he was, you know, active, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, you know, you're putting a good amount of trust in young players to keep your defense afloat and stuff. And, you know, I, I think that you use that first year with a new coach to establish the baseline. You know, you want the baseline defense. You want to be able to have the thing that you can always go back to. I think next year will tell us a lot about how adaptable Tibbs is now. You know, and, and I think we saw a lot this year where he was more willing to do things that were more in line with, like, the present-day NBA versus, like, 2010 NBA, which I think was a lot of the criticisms levied at his, you know, Minnesota tenure, where, you know, particularly on offense this year, he was much more, he embraced the corner threes more. And, you know, he did a lot of things that were different than the last time he was a head coach. And I think we saw that on defense too. You know, there wasn't quite as much like icing exclusively. Um, they, they had a pretty good approach as far as, you know, trying to defend the perimeter, but not so, but, mostly focusing on keeping the paint walled off and then trying to let the right player on the other team take the three-pointer. And that's why, you know, despite the fact that the Knicks gave up one of the higher amounts of wide open threes in the league, they didn't, they gave up the lowest, I think it was still the lowest by the end of the season percentage of threes made. So, you know, I think there's, I, I think there's hope for sure that Tibbs will get more innovative in the second year I'm intrigued to see if it's going to happen. You know, it, we'll have to see, but that's going to be a big, like one, it, he passed the first test of being a better, more modern coach. Now next year is going to be another test of, okay, can you, you know, move to that next level and take on uh, some new concepts and stuff that you haven't done before and, you know, set the team up to do some different stuff. Um, but we're going to get up our next speaker request here. We got, I think this is a first time first time call here. Alex Bermejo, if I'm saying that correctly. Alex, what's up? Thank you for being uh patient there. You were, <laughs> we we got a, a little bit of a logjam at the uh speaker request there for a minute. Yo, yo, what up? You can hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. What's going on, man? All right, all right. So one thing I've been listening about the Obi and the Colin sex and trade and I'm starting to warm up to it. I was never like super opposed to it, but just like a point guard that he get into, get to the hole, can shoot, uh, young. Like that's literally, I feel like that's all we've been missing is just like a young point guard to just dyna- make the offense dynamic. My concern is like what happens. I think that the team was great this year because they had like good chemistry. You know, we were, we're the big 15. That's what they were saying. So like I'm worried like trading OB. Let's, do you think that affects the locker room? 
um, I'm a big believer in like chemistry wins championships and uh, yeah, no, just Obi being a hometown kid, like all that hype about, o- like, I'm worried that the Obi trade would throw that off. Um, and I want to know what y'all think. And then additionally, just like what happens with the minutes where Randall has to sit, like if Obi like consistently got 10 minutes, who fills that hole? Well, I think, I think that's where you would look to free agency or maybe even the draft in that case. Um, you know, if you trade Obi, all of a sudden that creates, as you said, that, that 10 minute per game hole there. And you also, you know, you're getting back Sexton, which maybe lessens your need to trade for a, or sorry, to draft a point guard, um, you know, in the draft, because you could potentially fill out the guard depth then around Sexton in free agency. If you go after, you know, the Lowry's Conley's, et cetera, that are available this year, re-sign Derek Rose, that sort of thing. That's probably enough depth. So, you know, maybe you pivot and instead of looking at like Sharif Cooper or something like that, it, now all of a sudden you can look at a guy like uh, Usman Garuba out of uh, Real Madrid, who's someone that probably would not be a viable trade or draft target. I keep mixing up draft and trade today. I don't know what my brain's doing. Uh, would probably not be a viable draft target for the Knicks currently because you'd be like, well, how's he going to get minutes? You know, he he's probably too small to play to five. He's probably going to have to be a four, like a sort of switchy three, four hybrid that can guard those two positions. So, you know, how do you make that work if you draft him? And the answer with Obi already on the roster is, eh, he's probably just not going to get a lot of playing time, which isn't super useful. But if you, if you trade Obi, then maybe you look at a guy like that and bring him on. And that's someone that you have soak up those minutes behind Randall. And, and even if he's not a super plus offensive player, you know that he's going to really hold it down on defense for that second unit. Um, the other thing is obviously free agency too. You know, it's not to say that I think that what OB offered last year is like super easily replaceable, but you could find someone on the free agent market, a veteran. I, I don't even know. I honestly, because of the Knicks current situation, I haven't really even been looking at who's available as far as like, power forward type players on free agency market this year, but you could probably find someone who does roughly what Obi does um, for like, I don't know, five to $10 million, something like that. So I'm like a two year contract, give him like the, the Burks or Noel treatment. You know, I, I just, I don't think that it would be incredibly hard to find someone to play behind Julius Randall. So I, I just, you know, I, I wouldn't let that hold me up. Like your hope would be that Obi could become better than a ten minute per game player, but the reality is just it would be difficult for him to even do that with the picks because of the Randall situation. So um yeah, that, that's kinda where I'm at with that. But um Gavin, do you have any different thoughts as far as what the situation will be behind Julius? Yeah, I, I think I mean when you're looking at Obi, again it's it's sort of a question of like not what he is now, but what he could be in terms of your willingness to trade him. And, and obviously age suggests given that, I mean, am I, am I, he's, he's already like older than Colin Sexton, isn't he? Yeah. By um, a year. Like, yeah, he's uh, yeah, yeah. Be 24 this year and Sexton will be 23, I believe. Yeah. So there you go. So age right off the bat suggests a lower ceiling. Now Obi showed some definitive flashes. And as we, I, we did a whole pod with, with Benji about him, like he was used in absolutely the wrong way on the Knicks. And I, I think on a team, 
like Cleveland, um, I mean, maybe they'll resign Jared Allen and you'll have sort of the same lane clogging problem. But I, I think another team would use him more so to like the best of his abilities, which is as a rim runner. And, and that, that would be one thing that like right off the bat can make the trade look a little bit more even than it would, would appear on the surface. But again, given the context in which the Knicks are, are, are willing to use him, like I think it's a little bit more palatable to, to trade him if, if you just acknowledge like, hey, he's never going to be what we want him to be on this team as long as Julius Randle is, is here and healthy. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think free agency is the way to go. And I think for the Knicks, like the move would be to get a stretch four. Like they clearly need, I mean, behind Randle and, and maybe even to play with Randle like, or, or a stretch five. They need someone who can like bring some amount of shooting to the table and ideally a little bit of rim protection. So uh, Tom Thibodeau is okay with playing them. I know Serge Ibaka was a name that's mentioned in the past. Could be something that they go for in the draft. Like if they make that trade, then maybe you're talking about like either using 19 or 21, whichever pick you have remaining, and, and, and a second pick to either move up to get someone like Kai Jones or, or Trey Murphy the third is in a center, but he's a power forward who can shoot. There, there are certainly options, but the Knicks, I, I, think, I think it would make sense to add someone who can play with Julius Randle, because if not, you're just getting such limited utility out of that spot. And, and I guess the, the alternative way you can go is say, like, you know what, we're kind of fine just finding a power forward who can play 10 minutes a night. And, like, we, we don't want to put a, a, a lot of money into that spot because we know Julius Randle is going to take up a lot of those minutes. And, and in, in that potential situation, you're, you're just kind of looking for someone who can plug a hole, can play 10 minutes, and, and not – not absolutely kill you. And then, and then all of a sudden there, there are a lot more options on the table for guys who fit that bill. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with that too. Uh, oh, and Alex, to, I'll throw it back to you in a sec, but to address the other part of your question there about the continuity and the, you know, the team chemistry and all that, I think I, I hear where you con- like, I definitely get the reservations because it, I, you know, as a fan of this team, I think we all just are dying to have that continuity for once because it seems like every year the Knicks turn over like 80% of their roster. And it just leads to every single year having this group of guys that have never played with each other before that stumble through a season and you say, all right, well, maybe next year it'll be better because they'll have another year under their belt. And then you know, they let all the guys go in free agency or trade them or whatever the case may be and go at it again the next year with, you know, a whole new group of guys that, um, you know, again, haven't played with each other and don't know what they're doing and have to spend a whole year figuring out all the chemistry stuff. But I will say, I do think, and, you know, I sort of alluded to this earlier in, in this green room. I do think that the, the Knicks have a good foundation now where they sort of have, they have like their two leaders in place or maybe even three. If you count Derek Rose as one of them, which I think I do at this point, particularly, you know, if they bring him back, I think Rose is going to be one of the veteran leaders on the team next year. Uh, but you have Randall who is the centerpiece of the team. He's the all NBA guy. He, you know, has the respect of the locker room. He has the support of his teammates, you know, even the guys that you would think maybe would have some, uh, uh, I don't know about resentment as a word, but you know, like guys like Obi, where you'd be like, Oh, maybe there's tension between those two because Julius is kind of keeping Obi from playing. Obi loved Julius to death. It was pretty obvious. You know, you could see it just in how they interacted with one another um, and how they, you know, how they interacted on and off the court, I should say. And then you have RJ Barrett, who I think is sort of like the leader of the young players, you know, and you're going to have, even if you trade, 
these guys over there. So let's say you trade OB Knox and, you know, that draft pick, you, you still are going to have presumably at least five or six key contributors coming back next year that are going to be playing big minutes and carrying over everything that this team worked for last year. So you're going to have Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly. You'd still probably have Derek Rose. I'd be willing to bet that they'll probably resign one of two of, uh, Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks. And then you'll have, um, you'll still have probably Taj Gibson. If we're being honest, they'll probably sign him back. Mitchell Robinson, obviously will be back, you know, for either the last year of his rookie deal or the first year of a new deal that he comes to this summer. And, you know, there will probably, I'm probably even forgetting some, uh, you might even get Theo Pinson back. You know, they might give him a, the 15th spot on the roster to sort of be their full-time, you know, end a bench guy rather than a two-way player. And we saw how big he was to this team, even just as like the bench leader last year. So, you know, I'm not too worried about it. I think as long as you have sort of those pillars in place of guys that guys that are going to be your big, uh, the big, you know, minute getters, you know, that's important. And, you know, to not have turnover in those departments, I think is, is a really big thing. And pretty much every team, you know, no, no successful teams in the NBA outside of maybe a select few. I'm trying to think maybe like the Warriors at, in part during their dynasty run. But most teams do not return an entire 15-man roster. So you have to kind of figure that probably the the bottom seven to nine guys on your roster are going to get interchanged for someone else because that's what teams have to do. You know, you have to swap these guys in and out, find the right mix to ultimately get you to the next level. Um, but the important thing is keeping sort of the pillar players in place. And I do think that the Knicks will be doing that going into this next year. They're going to have, even if they bring in say like a new pillar player in Colin Sexton, cause he surely would be if they trade for him, you know, you still already have, three-fifths of your starting lineup in there as fixtures with RJ, Julius, and Mitchell Robinson that were on the team last year and know what the drill is. Maybe you even start Derrick Rose with Colin Sexton as, like, the two-guard, and then you have four-fifths of the starting lineup is still the same as last year. So I, I think that I think that that's the main takeaway for me as far as roster turnover this year is to not get too caught up on like Obi was effectively like the eighth or ninth man for that team last year. You know, those sort of guys, they move around and that's just kind of the nature of the NBA. So, you know, as long as they're not turning over the whole roster and doing something drastic, like trading, you know, RJ and, you know, sending Rose packing and uh, trading quickly and, you know, doing something with Randall or whatever. I'm not too worried about the team chemistry suffering in a big way next year. I hear y'all. I hear y'all. No, I get it too. Now that I think about it, I guess it is a business. So you're right. I hope they bring back Theo Pinson because I think that he was key for the locker room. Um, And then the last thing that I wanted to say was I just saw on Instagram that Julius Randle shouted out Carl Anthony Towns. And I don't know what the if anybody else has thought of that, but I would love to try to trade Carl Anthony Towns if he's sick of Minnesota, um, if he wants to come home to New York. I think 
Carl Anthony Towns is a great player and he's had a rough two years. So if he wants to come home, you know, he's a 20, 10 and 10 guy, you know, in my eyes. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah, yeah appreciate thanks. it. And uh, Gavin, do you want to react real quick to uh, to the cat uh, talk there? Um, no, I think I think you summed it up well. I, I don't really have any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I think with with cat, I have a little bit of reservation about potentially going after him, particularly if it's Julius Randle is the one that's luring him to the Knicks with the assumption of them being your four and five combo. I think that's potentially really bad on defense, uh, which is not great. But, I mean, if the price is right, I'll trade for anybody. Cat's clearly very, very talented, but I, I don't know. I guess I guess we'll just have to see. I think he would have to come with a new mentality under Tibbs, though, because it seemed like he was not a fan of Tibbs' coaching style the first time around uh, in Minnesota. So there would need to be some sort of light bulb moment for Cat uh, there to be able to bring him on. Um but Alex, uh, do you have any do you have anything else to add before we move you down? And I think probably wrap the show up. We're out of speaker requests and everything. No, nah, that's it. Thank y'all. All right, thanks so all much, right. man. Appreciate it, Alex. Talk thanks about. for coming, man. Hope, hope you come back. So, all right. Uh, so that's I think it for today. We don't have any more speaker requests, and I got basketball coming up in a couple minutes. Hoping to have a better week this week, Gavin. We went zero and four last week. It was not pretty. A lot of close oh. losses. Yeah, rooting not, for you guys. Maybe, maybe maybe you can trade for Colin Sexton before the game start. I know. I want to. I want to try. Um, I'm going to see if maybe an offer of of my one friend and I don't know. I, I'll see if I can arrange something else to try to sweeten the package a little bit. See if we can get Sexton in here. But I think we we need a little shot in the arm. We need a little little more perimeter creation. A little more shooting. So could definitely be a good thing. But anyway, uh, thanks, everybody, for popping in this week. As always, uh, we had, like, I think, like, 20 people in here at one point, which is maybe our new record. So, clearly, I don't know, maybe it's the green room's growing. Maybe it's that uh, we're growing on here. But no matter what the the reason is, thank you all for coming through and listening with us. Uh, thanks to everybody that came up and spoke. And we'll be back doing this again next week. Uh, I'm not... 100% certain if I'm going to be able to be on next week. It's not at our normal time, so we'll, we'll keep you guys abreast of if we maybe move to Friday next week or something, because I'll be coming back from a vacation on Thursday. Um, or Gavin might just go at it solo with you guys. We'll, we'll figure something out over this next week and let you all know what's going to go on for next week. But until next time, uh, this has been our green room. Thanks for listening to Locked on Knicks, and we will talk to you all soon. Peace out, guys.